0: Good morning, church. Um, Sending special love out to a few from our community who are running this morning in the marathon. So I am not with you in body, but I am with you in spirit. Um, So what a privilege to be able to talk to you all today. So thank you for having me. Um, As Wade said, we're going to be talking about um, the story of the older sibling in a story that you have in a parable that you have probably heard many times Um, But first, let us go back to the seven primal questions that Wade has been talking about here. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these seven important questions that are sort of embedded in our experience and um, things we need to be reflecting on. Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Successful? Good enough? And do I have a purpose? And today's sermon, um, I think, really has has the potential to cut across all seven of these um, because there's just a lot actually in it. But um, I, I would say that primarily where I'm going to be looking at is um, number three, which is Am I Loved? And sort of if I were to put in parentheses after that, I would say Am I Seen? So um, here is... Uh, the famous painting by Rembrandt on uh, the Return of the Prodigal Son. So some of you have probably seen this, and um, and so this story is normally called the Prodigal Son, um, and it's it's a parable. So it comes in Luke, basically after the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost coin. So lost sheep is about you know how how um, God leaves the ninety nine to go after the one. And then uh, the parable of the lost coin is about how the woman um, sort of has lost a coin and then found it and rejoices over finding it. So, and this all comes right after the Pharisees say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then he tells these three parables. So obviously there's a sense that Jesus wanted to get something across about sort of how much he values the lost the sinners, the the unclean, the unholy, and how strong his words are for those who don't take that seriously and who do not love these people. Um, so that's a message I think we kind of all know and and we try to remember. But there's also a sense in which it's a parable, because Jesus could have said he could have just given it his commands. He could have just said, all of you, love the lost, love the broken, and don't judge. Full stop. Done. Where's the bread? But he doesn't. He actually gives it as a parable, as a story. And parables are designed to kind of elicit different responses from the reader or from the hearer. And you can't really control how other people take it. And yet this is what he does. Um, So why? Like, why does he tell it as a parable? Why does he let us kind of go into the story and read it for how we might see it and so we're going to talk about that a little bit i was thinking what does the word prodigal mean because we use it but like i it was not fresh in my mind what it actually means so i had to look it up and basically prodigal means extravagant and that can be kind of interpreted in two ways it can be wasteful um but it can also mean lavish And so in the story of what we have called the prodigal son, we have these three players. We have the lost son, and then we have the prodigal father. So sometimes if we were to turn around and say, who's the the wasteful or the extravagant or the lavish one in this story, that maybe it's not just the lost son who was wasteful, um, but the prodigal father is so lavish with his love. And then we have this part at the end about what I would call the other lost son. And, and why are we looking at him today? Well, as, for one thing, as Wade said, I am, kind of, I am kind of him in many ways. I am not the oldest in my family, and I'm not a son, but I know his experience, and I know the things that he feels. So, and, um, and, and to add to that, one of, one of my kids, I, I, he gave me permission to say this, has never liked this parable. He told me he really didn't like it. He has never really liked it. And still to this day, at 25, doesn't really like it. So, um, as we were talking uh, last week, I was like, ah, okay, yeah, now I know why I have to keep talking about this parable. Because some of us don't feel settled with this story. So let's first kind of go over what happened with the lost son. So if you remember, the lost son, he asked for his inheritance. He got this idea, you know, I want, the, I want my inheritance, which pretty much in a way means like, dad, you can kind of just move along. And, um, and then he went out and he wasted it in, in a remote area living wildly. And then famine came and then he had no money. Remember this? Okay. And so then I'm going to invite Mabel Yin up to read the rest of it to us.
1: It's a Luke 15, verse 17 to 32. When he came to his senses, he said, And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends.
0: Thank you, Mabel. Mabel is someone you need to get to know if you haven't met her already. Um, She just has amazing wisdom and knowledge within her. So, um, okay, so let's go. I just kind of put together the Elder Brothers CV for you if uh, you wanted to get a sense of uh, what he's kind of like. And Plus 972, by the way, is the um, country code for Israel. I just, you know, decided to have a little bit of fun with it. So, um, but this is kind of his experience. So he's like sort of working in the fields at the farm. He actually says working like a slave for his father. Um, So probably not much of his own identity really in that. Um, And probably not a lot of necessarily self-care in all of that. And he's kind of, I don't know, probably plays some sort of role in the family office, I imagine, as the, as the older brother. And so he's sort of maintaining loyalty to the family's welfare. And then there's always the other duties as assigned category. So, And his skills and abilities seem to be kind of having a high work ethic and values, being assertive. He's a strong verbal communicator. Um, he's, he's willing to advocate with management, it seems, uh, he's he's excellent in highlighting justice, equality, and compliance issues. Okay, so um, as I said, you know th- there are parts of me that can really relate to this this brother, and I imagine that maybe that there is some of this older brother in all of us. So the elder brother, um, what happens then? So he is in the field. Oops. He's in the field, and he's doing what he was supposed to be doing. He is working. And then um, he hears this commotion, and he is told what happened. And then he refuses to go in. Okay? Now, from a psychologist's perspective, we sometimes talk about um, in stressful events what happens to our body and our brain And we either have a fight or a flight or a freeze response. There are actually several others. There's probably about six of them. But for now, we'll just talk about fight, flight, or freeze. You've probably heard of at least fight or flight. Um, To me, the refusal, his refusal to go in um, and join the celebration is a blended state of fight and flight. So he's fighting because he clearly has things to say. And he's avoiding by refusing to go in. And for some of us, when we face these kind of stressful events, as sort of a with this kind of personality, there's probably another. That's I would call this kind of an externalized version, um, where we externalize the stress. But there's probably an internalized version also, which is kind of more of a freeze and then collapse response. And that freeze and collapse response will kind of end up uh, rather rather than sort of angry outbursts and relational conflict will probably end up with us sort of pleasing and appeasing, and then, um, but therefore then um, ending up with physical illness sometimes within ourselves, depression, insomnia, and various other things that we carry internally. So then the father pleads with him. I just thought that was interesting. Nobody kind of talks about this, but the father pleads with him. And I'm thinking, I would just love to know what the father said. Like, what was he saying? Like, please stop being this way. Or like, just go in and just, you know, do what you need to do or don't make me look bad. I don't really know what the father was saying, but he's pleading with him. What I am clear about um, from being raised in an Asian family is that it was probably a role reversal for a father to be pleading with his son. And then the son says, all these years I have been working like a slave for you. So he is mired by his own work ethic or the expectations that are put upon him. I have never disobeyed your command. So the New Living Translation says it this way, I have never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And the message says it this way, I have never, uh, never given you one moment of grief. And so he was the good kid who did what was right, and I did what you wanted. And you have never given me, even a young goat. I was curious, like, what what is a goat worth in that culture? Because I can't can't quite translate it, but I'm assuming that the difference between a goat and a calf is fairly significant. And that, um, in that he's saying, I have not felt seen or celebrated, acknowledged by you. And then he says, this son of yours who has devoured your, devoured your property, thrown away your money. So it's this son of yours. You know, how many of us are like, do you know what this daughter of yours did, right? And we say this kind of thing. And Wade said something the other day to me that was like not very nice and i was like i should say to people at church do you know what this pastor of yours said to me it was a joke <laughs> he's always telling stories about us so this is my chance to like finally do so to him so but really what's in this is you know he's he's like saying this this guy i'm not even associating with at this point who has trashed our estate, because remember the older son, would have, this was his inheritance too. And his faulty choices have affected you and me. So then, this is key. The father says, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. And after that, there's a but. You know, I always tell people, like, when you apologize, don't say, I'm I'm sorry I did this to you, but. Because what happens after the but? Everything just got negated from before, right? So let's not do that, even though the English translation says but. Let's just stay with this for a moment. You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. Because remember, if... God is the prodigal father. He's lavish with everyone. He's not just lavish with the younger son. He's lavish with the older son, too. And he's not arbitrary. You know, we are, imp- we are imperfect. Our parents are imperfect. They pick favorites. You know, they choose. They're, they're unfair, and they choose one over the other and do these kinds of things. But God is not arbitrary. So he says, this brother of yours... And then he says, "We had to celebrate." And here, the father keeps bringing together what the older son wants to hold apart. The older son wants to separate he this brother of your this son of yours, this, he, and he keeps saying this brother of yours. So he doesn't even say this son of mine, but he says this brother. This is the connection between you and him. You cannot separate yourself so easily. So here's the question I have for you. What's the ending that you have in mind to this story? Because there isn't an ending in the parable. It's just left. So what is it that you fill in in the blanks of your mind as an ending to this story? What do you visualize or imagine? Does he go in eventually? Does he turn and walk away? Or does he come back later and reconcile? We don't know. But here's where it's a parable. Jesus could have said the ending if he wanted to, but he left it. And I think often the image I get in my mind is that, you know, the the Rembrandt painting, like, you know, the older brother's like this, and the image I get in my mind is that the older brother just kind of, you know, threw up his hands, um, shook his head, and walked away. But what if the ending of the story was a different kind of response What if the older brother had said, I never felt like I was enough for you? What if he had had the courage to kind of lean in, not attacking, but to lean in, pressing in, making yourself seen? What if he had said, this really hurts, how can I know that you really see me? Or what if he had said, I need some time to be okay with this? But in the end, he's still my brother, and you are still my dad. Or what if he had said, I am really struggling with the unfairness of this now, but I'm hoping my heart can change. See, let us not think that our only option is just to walk away, because it's not. And in walking away, we miss the invitation we miss the celebration, we miss our own inclusion in being seen. It's not our only option actually because God loves all who are lost in whatever way that we're lost. So what why am I saying all of this and what what do we do with this now? Let me ask you again, do you see yourself in this other lost brother? And do you recognize where you are lost because you've either felt unseen, like things have been unjust for you, like you did everything you were supposed to do and it didn't matter? So what's the way back home then? I'm going to give you eight kind of strategies all starting with an R just to keep it simple. So these are not necessarily in the order you need to do them. And you may need to do some more than others, and some of you might not need to do some of them at all. But I would say first, recognize your wounds and your judgments. Recognize them, because until you do, there's not much you can do. You will just be activated. Rethink your own pride and self-sufficiency. The word I first had up there was repent, and then I didn't really like it because it's a churchy word, and Some of us, when we hear it, we feel like, oh, you're just judging me. That's why I have to repent. So um, then I changed it to relent, um, because really, relenting is about sort of retreating from these things. But, you know, relent, rethink your own pride and self-sufficiency. Realize that others have their own story and narrative, which means everybody on the journey has their own experience and their own story. Your story may not be my story, but that doesn't mean that your story isn't valid. And relinquish your desire to control others' actions and decisions. And wow, for the if you've got an older brother personality, this is really hard to do. Because I would like to have control over other people's actions and decisions all the time. Yeah? Remind ourselves of what we already own. God said, all that is mine is yours. Okay. Remember who God is, because he would leave the 99 for you. He wouldn't just leave the 99 for the younger one. He would leave the 99 for you. Number seven, respond to the invitation. Take it. Take it in whatever state you are in. And if you can't take it now, take it later. Take it as soon as you can. Don't walk away. And finally, receive. What do we receive? We receive connection to God, to self, to others, and for others. Okay? We receive connection to God. We get back in union with God. We don't separate ourselves from Him. We don't walk away. We don't turn our backs. We receive connection to ourselves because maybe we have to forgive ourselves. Or accept who we are and accept the truth that we're actually loved even if we feel unseen and we receive this connection to others because we stop judging and we stop accounting and separating and we bring others close to us and for others meaning that you know this older brother could have been able to Actually, in some ways, protect or defend his younger sibling. But he couldn't because he was so caught in his own hurt and the unfairness that he felt. So, when we receive this connection, when we accept the invitation, when we receive this connection, we are able to connect for the sake of others also. And what does that mean? Well, here's one way that Brian Stevenson, who's a social justice, um, African-American social uh, activist and lawyer in the U.S., um, says this in Just Mercy. He says, my dream is to encourage proximity, mercy, and compassion, to ask people to think before picking up stones or simply walking away. We are all broken, and at some point, we will all need a stone catcher. So remember when Jesus says in that other passage, he says, let he who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. And that means that all of us, beloveds, all of us need to be stone catchers for others. We can pick up those stones um, and throw them, or we can be a part of catching stones so they don't hit other people. And this is also true for both of these lost brothers. They needed to put their stones down and they needed to catch other people's stones. So today, as I wrap up, we are going to just have a little bit of time to reflect. And and there are some stones here and we're going to do something with them in a moment. But let me ask, What is the stone that you need to catch? Is it the one that society will throw at your brother or sister, and you need to be a part of a healing force that catches it for them? Is it the stone that you might throw at another family member or someone that you think is undeserving? Or is it a stone that somebody in your family or around you might throw at you or somebody else? Or is it the one that you would throw at yourself for the things that you've done or the flaws that you believe you have? I don't know what you're struggling with today, but I would say you can put down the stone and you can catch the stone So what we're gonna do is we are going to um, just have these rocks available here, and there are pens. You can come up in your own time, get a stone, get a pen, go back and, and write whatever you need to on it. You probably can't write a whole huge thing, but you can put a word or a couple words on there. Either a stone you need to catch for somebody else something you need to put down for yourself, a wound that needs to be addressed, a person that needs to be loved, a God that we need to remind ourselves that we have access to and that we have everything that he has given us. And then, so just take some time to do that. We may run short of pens, depending on how many of you do this so if you're done with your pen you can hold it up for somebody else if needed um, and then when it comes to communion time rather than making people get up and down a whole bunch of times what you can do is just bring your rock back up here you can lay it at the foot of the cross if you want to keep your stone instead that's fine if you're not ready to put it up here if you're not ready to turn it over that's fine There is no judgment here. Take your stone with you and keep it with you. But if you want to, you can lay it here at the cross and then go ahead and just get in line to take the elements. And those who want to pray can pray with one of the prayer ministers. So, but let me maybe just wrap up what we've said here, okay? God, we just thank you that you love us so deeply. Even in the midst of what we've done, what we've left undone, whether the world sees us or doesn't see us, whether our parents see us or don't see us, whether our bosses see us or don't see us, whether our siblings see us or don't see us. You see us. And we are loved, we are loved, we are loved.